Hello and welcome to PA Podcast number 22. This week's guest is Investment Quorum CEO Lee Robertson. Our conversation covered everything from the macro to the micro, not only where he's finding investment opportunities for 2017, but also how he chooses fund managers, and in particular, how he ensures that he avoids the ones that have lost their mojo. Lee, thank you for joining me. I think it's it's been a, it's been a very interesting start to the year. It's been an exceptionally strong start to the year um, after a fairly robust twenty sixteen, shall we say? From your point of view, what what I'm interested in particularly is is how how much worse would it have been starting this year had twenty sixteen not turned out to be a fairly good year from a return point of view. Well, I mean, from a, from an advisor's point of view, dealing with private clients, no one wants to start a year badly. I mean, no client wants to see um, drops in, in portfolio values of any great of any great deal. I mean, we didn't start two thousand and sixteen brilliantly. Um, I think as as a as a sector, it was it was later in the year that things strengthened through, but that momentum has definitely carried through into two thousand and seventeen. So. Um, It's an interesting time because clients have seen very, very good returns in 2016 and clients have very short memories and they like good returns and they forget that it doesn't always come. And my slight concern is that this momentum, the Trump rally as it's being called, I think it started before Trump, truth be told. He might have put an accelerator on it through some of his rhetoric. How much steam has that got is the big worry. Will this continue all through all through 2017 we're not we're not sure it will because earnings don't seem to be as strong as they might be but saying that where do you put where do, where do clients put their money you know deposit rates are, are on the floor bonds are really really risky and we worry about them a lot so equities seem to be the play still which might continue to drive markets talking about bonds first and that's obviously the question because this isn't a new topic of conversation. We've been talking about the, the, the valuations of bonds for a while now, and, and I would imagine you, Quite keep, a while. Going, you keep going back to 30 years or, or, there, or, there, or 25 years maybe, but, but you keep going back to clients, I would imagine, saying bonds are fairly risky at the moment, and, and then they do another 12 months of, of fairly good returns. Is there a, how do you continue to have that conversation and sort of say, look, look they, really are, they really are overvalued? Well, I think that's. I mean, that's the private client space. You have you have the same conversations continually, um, just with slight slight tweaks depending on on markets. The bond conversation has been pretty much the same bond conversation since government started intervening buying bonds because they're not acting the way they typically did. They're they're much more of a risk asset than they ever were before. So you constantly have that conversation. You talk to them about why you have less than you might do, why you might be more equity position, or you might be using cash as opposed to bonds. But it is it is an ongoing conversation, and I don't think it's going to change. I think the, the fundamentals in investment markets have changed over the last thirty years. So you have these conversations about asset classes continually, as opposed to the old we've stuck six percent in in equities, we've stuck thirty percent in bonds, and we've done ten percent somewhere else. It's it's that conversation is going to go on forever. I think the academic evidence obviously points to the fact that asset allocation is where you make a lot of the returns, or sort of where you differentiate yourself much better than perhaps even single stock selection. But but if we we look now at the the asset class opportunity set with deposit rates on the floor, as you say, with, with bonds where they are at the moment, with absolute return, and and so some of these other more esoteric types of, of, of investment opportunities not performing perhaps as well as people would have liked them to over the last couple of years. 
how how are you thinking about asset allocation and, and where are you finding, particularly for a defensive client, where are you finding opportunity? Well, um, it'll depend what type of defensive client for us. Some want income, some want growth, some want a mixture of. But we still lean to equities. I mean, we look for we look for dividends. We look for growing dividends. Uh, we look to take risk off the table where possible by using um, more steady eddy type funds, which aren't looking to shoot the lights out. I take your point on absolute return. So many of them haven't done what they were meant to do. That due diligence is is absolutely crucial. Um, but I think the point is, with the lower risk clients, you're holding you're holding equities that are producing dividends, even if they're reinvested, but they're growing the dividend. That's what we're looking to do. Where are you, where are you finding opportunities? I mean, what, what, what kinds of areas are exciting you for 2017? At US still, I mean, we, we talked, I touched a second ago on, on the Trump rally, et cetera. We, we see growth there still. Northern Europe still, um, we are, the, the flip of that is we're, we're not very keen on commodities, for instance. Emerging markets, depending on dollar, we'll see how that plays. But for the moment, we're very much developed economies, um, US and UK particularly. Why the US at the moment? I mean, is, or perhaps not why the US, but, but are you, if, if you are worried that the Trump rally is perhaps going to run out of steam, are you then having to be a lot more specific in, in the manner in which you, uh, you invest there? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, at the moment, the way the markets have been, I mean, rising up, you know, rising, rising tide lifts all boats, etc. But I think as we begin to hone in on Trump's new administration's rhetoric and, and are starting to do stuff right now, you begin to see perhaps the opportunity sets, maybe less large cap, more mid and small cap, depending on, on the types of things. Is pharma going to take a hit because of the whole Obamacare sort of rollback, etc.? So you begin to hone in on on funds because we, we invest through funds rather than direct equities. You, you hone in on funds that may benefit from some of the first Trump actions. And what kinds of funds are you looking at at the moment? Is it is there a tilt from some in terms of style? Are you are you looking passive versus active? I mean, how are you thinking about? Yeah, I mean, we've we've always we've always believed in alpha, um, and I think our, we've we've now got ten year returns um, published, and I think we've we've sort of proven we can do it, and, and the alpha works for us um, as well as anyone else. So we tend to lean more towards active funds, but we do carry passive funds. I mean, the U.S. for instance is difficult to beat benchmark. Um, Although we are holding, we are holding a U.S. fund at the moment. Um, a U.S. actual fund, yeah, which, which is the old mutual fund. But um, I, I think we still remain largely active investors as opposed to passive investors, and, and that might be slightly unusual. There's a large cohort of advisors of my ilk who like the passive approach, and actually many of the passive funds have done incredibly well because you know, as, as I said before, rising tide lifts all boats. But we tweak outperformance in our client portfolios by using active managers. Do you think it is a time for the, the active-passive debate to sort of move on now? I mean, clearly they're not going anywhere. And uh, so, so the question then becomes, well, perhaps we should be thinking about it in terms of when you use active, when you use passive, and, and especially with the lines blurring now between the, the, the types of, of, of smart beta strategies that you can get. And, and that's where we sit, truth be told. Um, we think it is, I've, I've argued for years that we don't believe it's a binary argument. It is not active is expensive and doesn't beat benchmark, um, and it is not passive is cheap and always does well. There are shades of grey in our firm and with our client portfolio. So when we like, when we want to use passive, we will, where we see opportunity or we want to get a, enter an asset class or a, a market cheaply, then we will use it. Um, but where we think we've got
got good, strong managers who are delivering alpha and look set to continue to do so, we will do. And we blend and we, we move up and down how much active we're using, how much passive we're using, depending on conditions. But I think you're right. The blurring is there. Smart beaters, you've got, you've got Vanguard now with active strategies as well as passive strategies. But you cannot argue against the tide of money that is going to passive and it's, it looks set to grow. Um, it, it's, it's a very interesting discussion. And I think it will continue. I, don't, I, I think we're never going to move on from it. But in, my, in our view, in-house, it is not a binary argument. It is not one versus the other. It's a blending of both. Sure. Talking about Vanguard, they, they also sort of just cut their fees on, the, on their, their, their multi-asset strategies. And, and the, the, the point was made that, that you know, now this, this price war, if you, if you like, it is, is kind of moving beyond the, the realm of, the, of the, uh, the, the passive strategies. Now, clearly, that's something that's been happening to some degree for a, a long time. Now, price pressure has been, been placed across the asset management spectrum. But, but is there a sense from your point of view, you're, you're the one buying the funds, using them in, in, in portfolios. How, how do you think about f- prices and charges? What, what do you want out of them? And, and ideally, you want them as cheap as possible. But, but what are you actually looking for and yeah. willing to pay? Okay, I, I think it's dangerous um, to approach it purely on pricing, is our view. Just as we would never recommend a client a tax-efficient investment with the tax tail wagging the investment dog, I think you've got to come at it from, is the investment suitable? Is the fund suitable? Is, is it what the client needs in their portfolio based on current market conditions, asset allocation, risk profile, and all, that, and all the other bits that go along with private client advice? Then you get to price. I don't think you start with price. Um, you start with is it right and then you work out the pricing thereafter and does it fit and can you find that fund or a similar fund for a better price or can you negotiate a better price I mean the whole retail distribution review in my view slightly skewed pricing we used to get discounts from fund groups for clients that we passed directly to the client at platform level that sort of got washed away with RDR so it's harder to get discounting on active funds now but you're right about the, the whole the whole price pressure I think the regulator I mean they've just they've just been publishing papers on this this whole point. The regulator obviously has a view that they feel prices have further to fall. I'm not sure it's a, a view that's shared internally by many asset management groups who feel they're struggling with a tide of regulation, ever-increasing costs, ever-increasing regulatory pressures. You know, I was talking to a, a chairman of a fund group yesterday who was making that point. But I think there is price pressure and there will be some reduction in, in And In terms of, of performance, there's been quite a lot made recently about the fact that you know, the only or one of the, the few actual indicators of, of performance is that chances are if you've been doing very well, you're likely not to continue doing well over the, over the, the longer term to some degree. How, when you're looking at performance and, and choosing managers, obviously you don't want to choose the, the bad managers, but, but there is that debate now, well, should you be choosing the ones that, that perhaps haven't performed as well? How do you navigate that space when you're looking for them? You know, it's, it's, I think this is where it begins to blur between art and science. Um, I, I really do. I think good asset allocators, good investment committees, good due, legit, good due diligence um, contribute very heavily to this. And, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember there were funds that used to be based on picking the 10 worst performing funds last year because they all do better next year. And I think there was, there was a bit of that. It worked until it didn't work, like everything else in investment. But I think it's, it's about looking for managers who have a long-term, consistent track record, look set to continue. Of course, no one can predict the future. It's, it's a mugs game, which is why January is also interesting because you get all these calls about what do you think will happen this year. But I think it's, it's about being, being able to 
to run with your winners and cut your losers. And I think due diligence has got a huge amount to do with that. And it impacts on different asset classes, different markets, what you think is going to win at that moment. And you look at some managers who've got great track records fall out of favor because the markets have changed around them for the time being and that style no longer works. But that, in my mind, is just a perfect illustration of why you need managed portfolios and not fire and forget. I, I suppose the other, the other question in regard to that is, is sort of, what is the, how do you draw that line between the manager whose style has fallen out of favor and the manager that's just actually either running too much money and isn't doing it very well anymore or just has lost his mojo for lack of a better description? Well, it, it, it becomes apparent pretty quickly. Um, it, it just does. And if, you, if you're looking at portfolios every day, which good firms do, then you just get that feeling and you're talking to, and, and actually to be fair, I would say a lot of active managers are much more open and honest than they used to be. They will say, do you know what, what we've got going on at the moment just isn't working very well. We think we're going to come back into favour. This is why we think you should continue with this, or this is why we think perhaps we're not the firm for you at the moment. And they're actually, I think the candour and honesty has got much, much better in the last few years from the active managers. It's not that they were dishonest before, they just liked holding on to money, quite rightly, I guess. Um, so you just, you, you get that you get that feeling, um, and it, 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 it can be anything, as you say, it can be losing a mojo, it can be out of, just out of favour, it can be the change of a manager, it can be moving from a, a manager to a joint manager, it can be you know, transition planning, all these things impact, and you've just got to keep a really close eye on it. Having said that, that, that January is interesting because of, of all, the, all, all the prognostications coming out, I do want to get to yours, but, but before that, I wanted to get your sense of, of sort of, as, as the, the MD of a private client business, of a wealth management business, clearly there's a lot of change happening for you as well. It's not just the asset managers that are, that are struggling with regulation or at least dealing with regulation, I should say. I mean, from, from your point of view, how, how is the, the shift and the change, not only from a, a regulation point of view, but from a, a, a client point of view, from, from a, a growth point of view, how, how are you navigating that as a business? Um, it depends which sector. I mean, you look at which part of the business, I guess, is what I mean. If you look at um, the regulation, it's a cost of doing business. It's always going to be there. It's probably always going to increase. Um, you know, the latest stuff coming through about having to record telephone calls. Well, we record landlines, but I've yet to find a solution that records mobiles. Yeah, and certainly, if there is one outside of GCHQ or the NSA, I'm not sure, you know. Um, so I'm not quite sure how you deliver that. Um, but that leads to all sorts of issues. And, and the, the, you know, when I started in business many years ago, rightly or wrongly, you start with a couple of desks, a couple of chairs, a telephone, a fax, and a kettle. Um, and you, I look at my the business. The kettle being the most important. The kettle being, yeah, probably the most used thing, you know. Um, it's, and if, if you look at even a small business like ours, looking after a heading for a third of a billion, you know, you look at the complexity just around your office of, of the IT, of the call recordings, of, of everything that goes with it. It's incredibly expensive to deliver. Um, you then look at how much you've got to spend on training your staff. The constant technical updating that you need in private client is just massive. I mean, in pensions alone, they just won't leave them alone, whether it's the government or the regulator or, or whatever. There's constant new standards, there's constant legislative changes. It's a big complex beast that has to be dealt with and you just have to be at it every day. And I mean, from your point of view, getting new clients and, and just trying to navigate the world 
from a slightly more technologically savvy point of view. Now, now Investment Quorum particularly has done phenomenal work in that respect. They, they've, got a, they've got a couple of podcasts that I, I would highly recommend. They're very interesting. Thank you. On, on SoundCloud, you can find them there. But, but, but just more broadly, you, you are very active on social media. How important are those elements of the, 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 the piece to attracting new clients to your business? It's, I think it's, um, I mean, I'm the champion of social media within our firm because I, I tend to lead the marketing efforts. So I'm the champion of it and I'm ably assisted by a marketing assistant. Um, I think it's incredibly important. I think people consume news and information and technical detail in different ways. Some like to read long form blog posts, some like really long complex technical reports, others want snippets on social media and they will mix and match those one or other or many. So we feel that we should be delivering through social media, through our online presence, through client portal, all that sort of stuff to them in the way they want to consume. And we ask clients, you know, how would you like to be communicated with? One of the one of the big things we're mulling over right now is why are we dragging lots of clients to town? for review meetings when actually what they might want to do is just sit on Skype and, and do it that way. So there's a big discussion going on internally there. So I think it's incredibly important. And I think in in the current world, you've got to be careful you don't overstimulate clients to making bad decisions and, and taking action when they don't need to. But the world moves so fast now, 24-hour news. You should be commenting to your clients on what's going on. You should be giving them a kind of reassuring Sound bites too short, but a reassuring message that, do you know what, we've seen this, we're on top of it, we're alongside you on this, but don't worry about it, this is just news in the background. It's kind of the, the equivalent of a digital pat on the back every so often. It, it's, 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 that's quite a nice phrase, I think it is, yeah, I think it is. Some clients go nowhere near it, um, lots of clients consume everything that we put out, which is incredibly interesting. But most clients sit in the middle. You know, they, they'll, they'll dip in and dip out depending on their anxiety level or their interest level at that particular moment. I do think it's interesting, though, because the financial services sector and the wealth management sector particularly does feel like it's, it's only now beginning to grapple properly with, with technology and with social media. And there's been all manner of gnashing of teeth around robo-advice and those kinds of things as if it will, will be a, a completely automated and, and, and replacement service, if you, if you will. But, but why, why do you think, or, or do you think we are seeing now nascent steps toward a recognition that online, just in, in your daily life, your, your, your competitors, if you will, aren't the rest of the financial services sector, they're Google, they're Amazon, they, you, you need to be able to interact with your, with your clients in the, the manner in which they become a customer. Yeah, I think so, um, you know, without overstating it. And if we set aside, you know, the taxation and global corporate citizenship standards of some of these large firms, um, you are competing with that. I mean, if you take Amazon, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Amazon, I, I'm perhaps less so about the tax arrangements, but, but, um, I'm a big fan of Amazon. They, they sort of anticipate my need. They suggest things I might want. Um, they can deliver it, actually, now, that day, within three hours, because in I'm applying. In a slightly Orwellian nature. But yeah, in a slightly Orwellian nature, I get. Um, and I, what would you look at something online? Because Amazon knows you've been online <laughs> looking, looking at that and constantly suggests it for the next six weeks. But actually, that's just segmentation. That's, that's customer service. That's, you know, um, it turns up on time. It's well-packaged, sometimes over-packaged. I get that. But, but they deliver what you want. If you look at what Apple's doing, you look at what Google's doing, it is on demand. Now, 
we could argue that investment management and wealth management is very different, it's more complex, it's more detailed, but I think you are having to deal with on demand, and particularly younger generation coming through, everyone talks about you know Generation Y and Millennials, I'm told Millennials hate being called Millennials, but um, they, they've grown up in an instant online on demand society. You know, they don't have to wait to Saturday when school finishes to go down to Woolworths to buy the latest LP from their favourite band. They do it there and then on their phone. Great. So I think wealth management investment management has to go some way towards that, even with the complexities that we have. Hence, you know, we've gone this social media online way um, as best we can. Moving now to the, the, the prognostication section of, of, the, uh, of the, 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 the piece. You mentioned the, 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 UK, the US and, and you said you're also looking at, at sort of Northern Europe and, and the UK as well. There does seem to be a little bit of a bifurcation in, in views toward the UK at the moment. You know, there's some that are saying it's basically uninvestable at the moment because of the uncertainty around Brexit. Others saying actually it, it, it's done fairly well so far and, and is likely to continue doing, doing fairly well. The, the, the GDP numbers, the, the economic growth numbers are stronger than people had anticipated. Where do you stand in that divide? Okay, I think it all comes back to what Peter Lohman, my chief investment officer, always talks about. You invest in companies, not markets. So if a company has a good story, it has earnings growth, it's got orders, it's fulfilling those, it's on a growth directory, it's honouring and growing its dividend, then we'll invest in it through the funds that are investing in it. And I think that's where our due diligence and the fund manager's due diligence comes to the fore. So even in, in flat markets, you can still drill out returns because you're finding the companies within the funds that you want to invest in. So whilst the UK, I take your point, Brexit may, there may well be trouble ahead as the song goes, um, but if you look at so many British companies are actually overseas companies with overseas earnings, that's been powering a lot of the, the, the returns and I don't actually see that dropping off for a while. The exchange rate, you know, we have to watch the pound and all that and, and, and companies have to repatriate money sooner or later. But in the main, that's been driving good investment returns. And I think the UK fundamentally at the moment looks quite sound. What about emerging markets? Uh, you did touch on them very briefly. How, how positive are you on them at the moment? We're sort of neutral. Um, we are there. Um, there are still good growth stories because it comes back again. It comes back to good companies uh, with it, you know, investing in companies, not markets. There are good stories out there, but we're sort of neutral because of the whole dollar issue. Um, the strength of the dollar has been hurting. And uh, just in terms of the the amount of uncertainty politically coming down the pipe potentially in, in 20. 17. How much of that is noise and, and how much of that is stuff that you're actually paying attention to at the moment? I think, I think you always pay attention to it. You know, the, the economic view, and that's a large part of our investment committee's discussion, the economic view is incredibly important. But I think at the same time, you have to filter a lot of the noise out. You know, um, I, I mean, I, I love politics. I'm not so keen on politicians, but I love politics. And I think it was fantastic that two or three years ago, Belgium seemed to go for a whole year without a government. Nothing stopped, everything carried on. So I'm not sure just how important they are, but I get, I do get there's lots of political noise coming. You know, we've got elections in Europe. I think, I think the Dutch, the French, um, there's bound to be another one. Uh, you've got the political dimension around the Italian banking system. You know, we're all waiting for the next bank to say, do you know what, we've also run out of money. Um, so I think the political, and how, you know, Merkel, how can she keep selling the Greece rescue package? She's under pressure at home um, for lots of reasons. Greece needs the same amount of money again by the looks of things forever. Um, how does she keep selling that? How does Europe deal with that? Particularly now the, the second, the second, the only, 
one of two net contributors is trying to leave the club. So I think there are lots of political dimensions there. You just got to keep an eye on it. But fundamentally, come back to you're investing in companies that can deliver returns, which eventually private investors will pick up. And then just just to close off with, I mean, if if one looks now at the year as a whole, I mean, is there a particular data point, a particular metric, a measure, an event that you're going to be focusing on that, that is giving you insight that, that perhaps people wouldn't expect to? Um, inflation, probably, is the one that we're looking at. That's the one that everyone's just concerned about. Um, and Brexit's impacting that, dollars impacting that. It's coming from lots of different areas. So I think that's the one area that we are vaguely concerned about. In fact, very concerned about, but we're keeping a close eye. Well, that's it from this week's edition of the PA Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did or you have any ideas on who you'd like to hear on the podcast, let us know. Hashtag PA Podcast on Twitter.